Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast, where our mission is to provide woodworking education for all levels and all types of woodworkers. To find out more about the Modern Woodworkers Association, visit us on the web at modernwoodworkersassociation.com or follow us on Twitter at NWA underscore national. Now to our host, Tom Iovino, Diami Palatki, and yours truly, Chris Adkins. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this, the 33rd and a third edition of the Modern Woodworkers Association online discussion about all things woodworking. Today's special guest is Paul Leminski, and we are celebrating our annual Land of the Midnight Sun edition because it is so close to the start of summer. Guys, we're joined today by Chris Atkins from Atlanta, Georgia, and Diami from uh, Diami Plotky from Long Island. Um, Chris, what's going on in the shop these days? Brother, my, my shop right now looks like a... Uh... It looks like a storage facility where uh, we we have uh, we've we've been to some some stuff at the house right now. We're actually uh, past couple of days we're actually painting, so everything in the house is pretty much packed up, covered up, boxed up, and uh, we're getting carpet tomorrow on the upstairs. So uh, so we have a complete disaster. So my 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 wife tells me the other day she says. Uh, don't panic when you walk into the shop and you can't walk through it. So, <laughs> so, so, so it's everything is stored in the shop right now. So, so what, um, what you're saying not is much not much shop is going on. really not a shop. It's more of a storage facility. This the shop is a storage facility, but uh, I am hoping that um, once tomorrow comes and we finish the carpet, we can put everything back in place. And uh, hey, the good thing is the shop got cleaned up real nice. Um, so it, it's ready to go once I get everything out of it. So you had to get all the sawdust out before you were allowed to put the couches in it. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So, so yeah, I'm I'm kind of kind of away from my woodworking mode here for the next okay. week or so. But um, anyway, I'm well, I'm know, hoping to these, get some stuff back started on this weekend. These home improvement you know deals are so big. Sometimes, especially if you're replacing flooring, what do you do with all the furniture? I mean, that's so. It, you know, I this shop has taken many many a dose of furniture in it as we've done things around the house. So, yeah. hey, that's to be expected. It's a flexible space. Mm. Well, it, it is, and it's got to be done. You know, we to be honest, I mean, we've lived in this house for uh, seven years, and and really we haven't, you know, we haven't really did any painting. We haven't, you it, know, Well, there's a bit of a dump. The, the girls were, uh, I tell you, you know, you, you guys know with, with a couple of kids around the house, they uh, they can get, destroy it pretty quick, and, you know the flat base paint uh, w- was great with the the light colored carpet in the in the bedrooms upstairs until uh, until we had a couple of kids running around the house and uh, yeah that kind of changes everything. Mm-hmm. Best thing we ever did was replace our floors with a, our carpet with a laminate and they still look as good as the day I put them down and that was a good eight years ago. So it's so yeah. something a little bit more durable. You know we can mop off and. <laughs> You don't see anything left behind. There's no evidence. That's what we're looking for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we've got we've got you know we've got wood downstairs, and it it does pretty good. But of course, even with that, they throw stuff across the floor, and you get dings and stuff in it. But oh yeah, cherry cherry flooring hides the carpet. a the lot of just damage. Destroyed, so. Well, that, that's that's exactly what we've got. Is we've got cherry on our floors down here. So uh, so it does hide a lot, and it does make it a little better, but. Yeah, the poor carpet has just not survived well. So, well, so that's my that's my woodworking. Yeah, it's like going out here shop for the week. <laughs> Best of luck to you. <laughs> Tell me what's going yeah. on in your bench. What's going on in your shop? You're, lo- you're just lucky I'm here tonight. Yeah. I, I also have my my AC out. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, on my bench, Tom, there so was what do you a, got, there was a bench on my bench. A bench on the bench. Yeah, I just um, last week for Father's Day, I built this bench top bench for my dad. It's based off of Jeff Miller's bench top bench that was published in Fine Woodworking mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, I think. Um, so I actually I started last Tuesday and I milled up all the legs out of you know timber strands because it's what you do. Of course. And I actually milled enough legs to build two benches, but for the top, I'd made this test benched slab out of those pre-made slabs you can buy at the home centers, and they're all finger jointed boards. They're three quarter inch thick by various widths and lengths. Sure. So I took I took four of them about a year year and a half ago. I took four of them, one at a time. I'd glue between them. I'd screw them together, pull the screws out, glue between them, throw one more on, screw it together. And I just used the screws as clamps. So on the other side, there's all these screw holes. And it warped and cupped terribly. So it was a failure for a big bench. But I was able to cut a 24-inch piece off of it, run it through the planer a few times, and now it was perfectly flat and square. So that's what I used for the bench top for this because I had it, and I was looking to make this in a couple days. And then for the jaws, I just took this big hunk of oak I had and cut it in half and, and milled it down. So it's just made out of a little bit of everything of what I had kicking around the shop. Um, but I think it came out pretty nice, and it's it's functional, and it was a it was a nice Father's Day present. I was able to finish it in three nights until the, the vice jaws broke, and then it took me a fourth night to fix them. But that's another story. Um, so that's, uh, that's what I got built, and I got a second set of legs, so ultimately I'm going to make one for myself. But... A couple of years ago, Aaron Marshall was kind of egging me on that when I build my full-size bench, I need to make it entirely out of man-made materials because I was planning on making the vice jaws out of oak or uh, oak because I have it, but out of some sure. nice hardwood. Um, and he's like, no, no, you need to make the vice jaws out of man-made stuff also. So what I think I'm going to do is when I make my bench top bench, I think I'm going to make the top out of timber strand and the vice jaws out of LVLs. But I have to do some milling to glue up the blocks of the timber strand, the LVL, that I can then use to make the top and the vice joist. So it's going to be a little bit more work to build mine, but I'm going to use mine basically as an experiment for the method of mm. total bench building that that I kind of want to make based on Aaron egging me on. It doesn't take much to get me going. But, you know, if you're going to do it, using, I mean, an LVL does make a lot more sense because, it, you know, at least it's, it's it's all all linear and it it should have a little more compression. You don't have to worry about anything flaking or any yeah anything like that. So. Yeah, I think with the with the top, I think if I use the timber strand and the the little flakes of timber strand are oriented in a flat plane like they are in OSB. So I'm gonna essentially turn that on edge. So I'm dealing right. with all the vertical edges for the bench top, and then for right. the vice, I'm gonna do the vice out of LVLs and turn them so that the gr- the grain's running horizontally. Because right, that's so ultimately, I plan to build a leg vice out of LVLs, so it's just going to be like a leg vice sideways. So I'll see if it's a decent vice material, or if I actually need to break down and use a hardwood for a vice. Um, for on a little bench like this, if it's a miserable failure, I'll live with it. It's just an experiment. Sure. Um, but so that's that's what's been going on in my shop. What do you got going on, Tom? Well, I'm currently between projects right now. Um, I just finished a uh, wine glass holder. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Scott Bob, he and his wife. Well, Really, she's a really good cook, and uh, they have us over all the time. And Bob is the wine guy, and he's got you know it's usually there's four or five different wine choices. He's got all the stem were kind of stacked in different locations. So what he wanted was a wine glass holder that could you know, could slide the stem were into. And uh, I put together something out of some soft maple, which turned out being beautifully tiger figured. 
Um, so it's, it, it was, was absolutely nice, beautiful. I saw it. Thank you. It's, you know, it was very simple. I tried to go for um, some simple lap joints on the corners and then just kind of, you know, building these little uh, struts, I guess you'd call them. They were T-shaped struts. So when you, you set them apart far enough, you could put the, put the uh, wine glasses in and it would hold them by the bases and hold them upside down so they didn't get dust in them. So I was pretty happy with the way it came out. Bob was Bob was beside himself. I, I attached all the hardware, and he was going to hang it. I think he hung it just a couple of days ago. Yeah, it's a picture of the Italian forklift right over there holding it up. Yeah. <laughs> now, could I ask you, anybody who's watched the video, I've just got a photo of it. And Tom, in the photo, Tom's holding it up to the ceiling. But the middle slat seems to be wider than the rest. Was that just for spacing purposes so it was symmetrical, or why exactly, did that one end up bigger? Exactly. What happened was I originally laid them out. But I miscalculated the width of the bases. Ah. Okay. So I was going to try to put there, and then I realized it wasn't going to work the way I laid it out. But it would work perfectly if I butted those two in the middle together and glued them into place, which actually worked that better for stability because all these individual struts were all attached, and sometimes they could rock. But by gluing those two in the middle together, I got better stability across, and I put the beam on the top, kind of screwed in. So it was. So it was a plan. I mean, it was, it, 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 hey, it was a design modification, <laughs> which is really the way you want to work in woodworking. It's the only way I know how. Seriously, you know, you start off with a plan and everything, you know, the plan fails as soon as the rubber hits the road. And then you just go from there. Yeah. I'm, now I'm heading towards my next project, and it's the first ever for me. It's a two-by-four challenge. Um, over at the St. Pete Woodcrafters Guild, they're, they're – who's what? I was going to say whose challenge is it, but you just – Oh, it's the CD Woodcrafters. Um, basically, it's it's you get one eight foot long two by four standard construction grade. Buy it at the local home center. I think it set me back two fifty, and you have to build something out of it. You just can't bring in a stick. You got to actually do something with it. And you know, for inspiration, you look online. You see people have done some crazy things with these two by four challenges. Um, Crenel style cabinets, much shorter, much shorter than you'd expect, uh, but still, you know, Crenel style cabinets and chairs and things like that. So I figured, what the heck, you know, I'll give it a shot. I'm going to build a domed lid uh, pirate treasure chest, for lack of a better term. So hopefully I can get started on that a couple nights this week and then plow into it this weekend and, um, you know, get it done in time because I have to have it for Tuesday night. You're going to build that out of a single piece of 2 by 4 I'm looking at the 2 by 4 right now and with a lot of resawing oh. to the stock out. Okay. And milling, it's going to, it's going to be plenty of material. How big is the is the pirate's chest going to be? The box isn't going to be you know huge. It's going to be like you know fourteen by ten. Okay. It's not going to be enormous. You only but it's get be a little, little pirate booty. You get yeah. a, it's a little pirate. But hey, it's if the booty treasure. comes with Tom, the the booty's a small pirate booty. Hey, are we all looking for small booty? Oh wait a second, that's a different blog. That's a different podcast. <laughs> but it'll be it'll be a nice little you know nice little treasure chest for somebody to put on their desk and put some things in. Hopefully, I have enough wood left over to do a little tail for it. Kind of set the till in. What do you What are you doing with it when you're finished? If it comes out bad, I'm going to throw it away. <laughs> if it comes out decent, I don't know. I, I might I might see if somebody wants to buy it. See if I can give it to somebody. Heck, I might even bring it to work to show you what you can do with a two by four. <laughs> Besides, put me in the back of the head with it. <laughs> so that's what right. we've got going on in our shop. So, is there anything out there in the online community that uh, piques your interest? Anything out there you've seen? Well, I'm go I'm going to say a couple of things. I um, well, first of all, there's there's two things, and and one of the things is something I got in the mail today uh, from um, from Infinity 
um, tool works. They uh, they came out with the, the with the lock miter jig, and if anybody's watching, I'm gonna hold it up so you can see it. But it's a really cool little jig that that uh, you know everybody always complains you know about how hard a lock miter is to set up, and this jig is is basically made to it, it's got a magnet so it sticks on the side of the lock miter and it's got a couple of different little tick marks on it so no matter what thickness of the wood you can adjust it to make it fit so uh, so I'm, I'm pretty excited of course I got this big huge package in the mail and I open the package up and and inside of it is an infinity catalog and I'm like okay great well it's the the it's it's so small I almost lost it. So, so I, I but uh yeah. So if you're so I'm pretty excited about that. Don't throw it out. Can I tell? Can I yeah, tell you a story so if about you get one, just be, Yeah. Can I tell? Can I tell you a story about the jig? Go for it. So last month at the St. Pete Woodcrafters Guild, two people came up to talk how they set up the jig. They set up the bit to actually get the cut. And one mm -hmm. guy came up and he did a 20-minute presentation on mathematics and he had trigonometry and he's trying to get that tangent, a cosine, and all this business. Another guy came in and he was showing all the experimental cuts they had. So he said, do this and do this and then flip the pieces over and stick them together. If they don't go together, then you have to raise this, half the distance of this. And finally, at the end, they both turned to each other and said, or you could use the jig and the first crack and they put the pieces together and it matched beautifully. Nice. I'm like, it may be worth its weight in gold. I don't know if it oh, works. I'm I'm pretty excited about trying it because it's you know I've I, I have one that uh, a bit that I'd ordered from Infinity and, and I've used it and it's you know it I've got the the Teflon um the Teflon blocks that come with it sure you know and, and they're fine if you're using the same thickness as the Teflon blocks because you can just put it right up there and it fits but how many times are you going to use I mean for me most of the time that I'm going to use a lock miter. It's it's because I'm using some small box or something like that 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 I don't you know that maybe I don't want to put some some dovetails or or something else. You know I just want a sure. clean outside corner. So most of the time it's thinner wood. It's not going to be something thick enough that that even the setup blocks at least for me work that great. So I'm pretty excited about this because it does have the different thicknesses. So I should be able to to set some thinner stock out and then try it. So I mean it's a it's a great little tool. It's not something that that I use all the time, but you know, one of the the reasons I bought it was was I wanted to make a. There was a box that I was going to be doing out of zebra wood. Well, it's so linear with the lines and stuff. You try to put some some joinery that shows on the corner. It's just going to look bad, you know. So yeah. you you've got to have that miter and a straight miter. Just you know, it's not strong enough. And I could put some splines in it, but. Once again, the, the zebra wood's so linear, even the splines show up in it. So. Yeah, they're going to pop out. So, mm -hmm. so well, definitely something. So something I'm pretty excited about to. that. That's you pretty know, cool. So I, I have I, I have one other thing that that I wanted to to bring up, and um, and it just I I had ordered a back in I don't know it was probably in December or January I guess it was in January I'd ordered um, ordered a, a set of dividers an, an eight inch divider from from Peter Ross the the blacksmith that that does some of Chris Schwartz's and uh, so I finally got them them in a couple of weeks ago so I was pretty excited about that and uh, I mean they're awesome he does a fantastic job and at the same time um, this is kind of a plug for for a book you know I had ordered um, by hand and I um, by George George Walker and and Jim Tolpin and you know I don't I don't really Say hey, you know, you got to read this book very often. You know, we used to do some reviews and stuff, but we've kind of slacked off on that. But uh, 
it, it's a phenomenal book. I mean, I was just really impressed by it. So I was pretty happy. I got this this new set of dividers in. So I'm reading through, and a lot of it they talk about dividers and and proportions, and you know, and just designing things through, uh, you know, with with throwing the tape measure out the the window, which is something that you know we've we've kind of talked about before in the in the past, and just using. And and I like to practice that. I've always so um, so it's really neat. I, I've really enjoyed this book so far. So uh, I definitely recommend anybody um, if you're looking for a good woodworking book. Um, that that's a great book that just talks about a lot of design. Could I ask? Is it, maybe this isn't an appropriate question as I've not seen the book, but is it more practical or theoretical in terms of the th- advice it gives? It's 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 both. I mean, a, a lot of it. It starts out theoretical because a, a lot of the the advice that it gives is just kind of going through and and but then what they actually do is they they do pick um, quite a few different projects and they say, all right, here's this project and and here is here's how you use that. So here's how you use this theory to design that. And part of it, yes, I, I do enjoy the, the theoretical part of it because I do like reading about just, you know, design and, and why certain designs were used. And, you know, I do that in construction too, you know, just in, in my day job. I, I love seeing how buildings, how we, we've uh, evolved buildings over time and came up with different. So, uh, so I do enjoy that part, but I think there's there's something to both sides in that. It is practical and, you know, and, I think one of the mistakes a lot of people make, and this kind of gets into, you know, maybe my own theories in it, but, you know, I I think one of the mistakes a lot of woodworkers make when they get into woodworking and trying to learn about woodworking is that they, they, they think that they think that there's this precision that they have to have. They get in here and they think that, you know, I've got to, if I'm going to make this, I've got to sit here and, and you know, it, it kills me when you go into some of these wood stores and you see these, these rulers that go down and they've got these little bitty tiny tick marks in it that you can take and run your pencil down to to get it down to the you know the the sixty fourth and you know in reality it doesn't matter it doesn't matter the length on something if you're building something you know you're you know i've I've always went by the theory if you build from the outside in, so a lot of it talks about um how do you get those outside what what are those outside dimensions, and how do you come up with that in proportion from from you know the the width to the height to the depth, how do you come up with some of those proportions and, and you know instead of just guessing at it? I mean, there's some just straight values that you can use that's that's proven to be to, to be to be accurate and to be appealing. Um, so I think it's good to kind of teach people and get people in there and and teach them that you know what you don't have to sit here and take a set of plans that you've ordered and you. You're you're sitting here, and it's, this thing says I have to cut this board 24 and 3 sixteenths. Well, why? Why do you have to cut it that? You know, because you're building something. You're building a puzzle, and that's my soapbox. <laughs> no, that's great. What? All right. Stuff. Hey, hey, so, what's going so on? what about you guys? Oh, well, I I. You know, it's funny. I, I got a package from uh, from our friends over at Bessie Tools, and uh, I, you know, I asked for some advice on on clamping, and uh, they sent me clamps, which was bizarre. Um, good perfect. Like that. <laughs> so it's like, well, here, try these out. So uh, it, it was interesting. I had a big care package from our friends at Bessie, and um, you know, they've helped us out for a lot of the drawings I've done, the, the thousand post I've done, and the Get Woodworking Week. They've always helped out, and they decided they uh, want to send me a few clamps. So I want to thank the folks at Bessie Tools because I'm going to be putting those babies to use soon. 
Um, eventually, I want to build a chair, which is kind of interesting and in leading into our main topic, but we're going to get there in a moment. What about you, Dion? Anything can pique your interest? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> so I'd have to actually look online for something to have piqued my interest. And I'm sorry, I've been such a slacker. Between building the bench and work and kid stuff over the weekend, it's it's just been... I have not been the, the internet consumer that I, I should have been, so I've let everyone down. I apologize. Don't worry about it. We've all so been there. So disappointed, Diami. Well, no, we've it's, all been there, Chris. Come actually, on. I'm the one who typically does not have it because I'm I'm stepping up, and we're like, hey, what do you got? And I'm like, um, hang on. Let me see if I can search the web real quick here. Yeah. We forget. Now, as far as goings on in the MWA, we understand there was a, there was a meeting in West Virginia, wasn't there, recently? There was. <laughs> do we have the details? <laughs> we do, but I didn't pull them up about. to have them read out. <laughs> well, let's say this. Our, 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 uh, our new West Virginia, Western Virginia group met. And, and Stephen over there is doing a very good job of it because clearly, as everyone can tell, we're not leading from the top. Um, and not giving giving the, our our co-admins enough support. That's something we know we need to work on. But Stephen's been doing a great job in in starting a chapter in West Virginia. I think it's I think it's West Virginia and Northern Western Northern Virginia, West Virginia. Or, Virginia. It comes sort of the Shenandoah yeah, Valley, sort of that area. Yeah, uh, it's an area of the country I'm not all that familiar with. So, um, I know they had they had a meeting over this past weekend, and as it's a bunch of woodworkers getting together, I'm going to make the blind statement that they had a good time because how can you get together with other woodworkers and not have a good time? Uh, and as an admin, I apologize. I should know more about it. I don't, but you know, that makes the point is just to get together. So they did it. They did the right thing. They got it. They had to get together and they had fun. I'm sure. So when have you ever gotten together with woodworkers and not had fun? The, the best, the best question ever. I mean, it just. It seems like it's a universal thing. You get woodworkers in a room, suddenly now we've got stories. And the stories are the best part. That's why so, we feel we can do this podcast with absolutely zero preparation, because we're just talking about woodworking. <laughs> <laughs> and now right. you know the secrets to our success. Yeah. <laughs> well, enough of us stumbling through our presentation. What we're going to do now is we're going to turn things over to our wonderful guest, brought to you from north of the border, Paul Amiski of Canadian Woodworking. Paul Welcome to the MWA chat discussion, Blind Leading the Blind. <laughs> How y'all doing tonight? Doing great, Paul. How's things? Excellent. Dark here now. No, oh, it finally got dark in Canada. <laughs> it did, yeah. It does that every night, I think. <laughs> Strange. I thought That's... you guys were in the north of the Arctic Circle. I, I'm in Florida. What do I know? Paul, okay, Paul, tell us a little about your website, which is... CanadianWoodworks.com, right? It is. That is the website. Um, I've been a little the first slack on it. I've given all day. <laughs> yeah, I've <laughs> I've uh, I've been a little slack on it lately because I've been too busy actually woodworking. But uh, whenever I finish new projects for clients, I try and get them on the site right away because it's good for them to see it. And the blog I try and maintain too because uh, same thing. The the client I like to uh, show them. You know, sometimes it's six months, eight months before uh, they get their piece, so they get to see it along the way. They get to see that stuff's getting done too, obviously. So that's a good thing. But it's gonna um, make them feel better. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and a lot of them. Um, I'm currently actually doing a piece for somebody that had some chairs made in the '70s, '74, '75, and I'm actually reproducing okay. them. It was from wow. a Canadian woodworker from Toronto. He passed away in '92 in a biking accident. Uh -huh. There's actually a, a book written about him. His clients 
paid to have the book done after his death. Wow. Uh, wow. Stephen, yeah, Stephen Harris is, is the woodworker. He's, I never heard of him. And, uh, I met these clients. They happened to see, uh, uh, a picture of my, my furniture in a, in the, in the newspaper, the Toronto Star, actually. And, uh, they came down, saw my work at a, at a show I was at, the Toronto Art Expo. And I went to their place and we checked out the furniture. And now I, I have, uh, that job to reproduce those chairs. Well, man. That's, is that the chair you've been posting about on Twitter over the past week or two? Yeah, I'm currently making a prototype of it, just out of pine, actually, which I kind of wish I'd made it out of cherry to start with because the grinding with the soft wood is, uh, it just kind of goes away. It's like nothing's there. You don't have any, any, uh, resistance against the, the cutting wheel, even with the finest wheel. So mm. the hardwood, mm. I can use the, the coarsest wheel, which like would tear your face off, you know? And, uh, you can still push against the wood and, and there's a certain feel that you're looking for. So with a software, it's kind of actually difficult. <laughs> so, Paul, just to be clear, you don't actually apply the grinding wheel to your face. <laughs> no, no. You, as you can see, I don't apply much to my face. <laughs> <laughs> you don't apply a razor to your face either, I see. But, okay. No, no. But, uh, yeah, the cuts all is, is the grinding discs I, I use. And I actually talking about getting a nice little care package. As a Christmas present, they sent me one of each of their discs. Oh wow! And, uh, nice. I guess just because I, I I talk about them and and uh, I use them all the time. I'm still using the same disc though. They gave me new ones, but uh, I'm using the one I've done you know a hundred plus chairs with. So wow. they certainly last for a long time, and they don't grab at all. So when you put pressure on, it's not going left or right. You really have full control over it. Which uh, as I've you know I've I've only really been at this for about three and a half years. Uh, Wow. As I've gotten better at it, I, my, the fabrication aspect of the chairs has gotten quicker and better quality there. It's allowed me more time to uh, to sculpt and, and see the lines and, and really step back, I guess, and really look at look at the chair. So the wheels are really handy. <laughs> Those are the free ones. So so when you say that you've been at this about three and a half years, is, is that just more of the sculpting or is that, you know... I had a different business. I was doing uh, car audio, electronics, remote starters, alarm, alarm systems. So my my fine woodworking was a MDF speaker box. That's Although a bit of a change. I, yeah. Yeah. Although was it all I did a lot of. Yeah, I still use MDF to this day, though. I just made a new rocker jig, which is two behind me there. That way, uh, I have a student coming on Sunday actually, and uh, finally I have two forms. Before, I would <laughs> we would make my rockers, and he would see the process, and then we would pop mine out the next day, and he could pop his in. Um, now I have two forms of everything, and uh, now we can both do it at the same time, which is much better. Although, how, many go ahead. Yeah. Uh, how many students do you have in? This will be my fourth one so far since I've uh, started. So considering I haven't been doing it for too long, I'm uh, pretty excited that um, you know I'm get, you know I'm having these people interested in in coming and learning to to build this rocking chair. And just recently, <laughs> over Instagram, somebody from Toronto uh, wants to do a bar stool. Okay. Which actually is the rockers and the bar stools is is mostly what I what I do. I do a lot of bar stools, <laughs> counter stools, whatever you want to call them. But uh, a lot of stools they're popular for cottages around here, north okay. of anyways. Yeah. So I mean, Paul, you know, you know, I've seen people start building chairs and they use the bandsaw for all this stuff. What what actually got you started in the whole sculpting business and the sculpting chairs? I mean, how did you get how did you get how did you begin in this? I very initially learned from Hal Taylor. Okay. The rocking chair, which his chair has the flexible back brace, which uh, okay. I think is a, a very, very nice feature. And uh, everyone that sits in them seems like it. But uh, he used uh, a cutsaw wheel to do some sculpting, a little, a little round over on the inside of the back legs, where 
the back braces flow into the leg. So it's actually a big round over chamfer that kind of acts as another back brace to your back okay. for the feel. So you can't really achieve that line with a router bit. Most of the leg is actually just done with a 5 8 bit, but there are certain sections where he uses the cuts all wheel. And from there, uh, I, I've really, uh, you know, just been able to play around, I guess, with lines and, 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 and see what works for me and my eye and my feel also. I don't have too many actual hard lines on my chairs, which is like a true Maloof if you look at his uh, right. uh, very sure. many hard lines, where mine's a lot softer and you can kind of feel everywhere. And it's uh, the, the stools that I had, the bar stools, I first had a hard line on it for the seat and uh, people would sit sideways in them at, the, at, at a show or, or, you know, spin around in the chair. And for more utilitarian, I think Saw's hard lines is, is, is a little nicer on, on your caboose. <laughs> <laughs> So you, it seems, I mean, it seems so odd. I mean, you, you, you get out there and now you, you've got this disc that spins fast and pulls wood off. And um, I mean, did you have, how many mistakes did you make? How many design, how many design features did you make before you really felt like you had it right? I actually feel like I have never taken too much wood away from anywhere. Oh, okay. On any, I've never actually, I've had one or two chair legs, rear chair legs of chairs I've had to cut and then and see a crack usually in the top or bottom of it inside the wood kind of thing I've had to toss away. Other okay. than that, uh, I've been pretty fortunate, I guess, knock on wood, that uh, um, again, it's the control of the wheel that you have. Uh, they have a cupped wheel as well as a flat wheel. The cup you would think would be better for doing curves and, 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 and scoops and all that, but I find that the, the flat side wheel is much more consistent and much more smoother and you have more control over it by far. Uh, I also do get, I use the small die grinding bits, but 90% uh, of the grinding is done with the four and a half inch disc or whatever size it is. And I'm sure, yeah, you want to get a lot of feel done with that. Yeah, you the can really hop, yeah. yeah, the seats, uh, uh, adjusting certain roundovers at all the joints where the arm attaches into the back leg. Uh, underneath the arm is actually where you actually spend more time sculpting the underside of my rocking chair arms than the seat itself. I can get a seat, mm. I can sculpt the seat by hand, sand it up to 500 in just over an hour. Wow. Wow. And that's, uh, I've taken the seat down about 7 eighths in the back area, uh, 5 eighths to 3 quarters midway up and about half inch at the front, and then it starts curling down, and then the underside as well. Wow. So what, what, what do you normally use? Uh, my process is a, I draw the outside line, I kind of mark off where the pommel is in, in the center just to stay away from it. Uh, okay. I start with the, the cut saw, I use the coarsest wheel that they have, the, the flat one, it's pure carbide, so it's got like a thousand little cutting teeth on it. So it can never really grab and pull you and you have very good control. Uh, the only thing you don't want to wear is baggy clothes, definitely, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? You gotta be, safety is really the number one thing in, in the woodworking, especially when I have students coming through and, uh, I have an apprentice. I just had two co-op students come through, one from college, one from high school. Um, there, there we go, right there. So I start with the cuts all, cuts all wheel, which on there I actually have the, the dish, but, uh, I use the flat one now. Uh, this is the flat one? As the I orange, the orange one would be a cupped one, and then the, the smaller silver one is actually, uh, flat one, which is that's okay. my first wheel I ever got from Lee Valley. That's the only one they actually sell from the company. Yeah, that's the wheel I have because I bought mine from Lee Valley. And Oh, yeah, okay. I actually I, now I, like, they have ones, cuts all have ones with actual, they're like carbide little pricks. They're not so random. It's actually like a, 
it's like a probably a hand hammered rasp compared to you know a true rasp, and okay. I feel it works better. And then yeah, I Paul, use so I, just so everybody knows. I mean, this is the kind of wheel. You, well, if you're seeing on video. Oh yeah, yeah, the that, that's the wheel right there. I'm sure. Uh, hold on, I'll show you the coarse one I have. Okay, but this is the cuts all wheel. It's got the uh, carbide teeth. It fits on an angle grinder. Tom, have you had a chance to use it much yet? I've messed around with it a couple of times, and it really does give a lot of control. Yeah, because um, I'm really thinking about building my next file. Eventually, I want to build a chair, and I may need to talk to you. I may need to be talking to Paul about this. Um, but again, you know, using this to kind of sculpt some of the features into it. And I haven't. I've used mine on two or three projects. I used mine on that uh, that card rack I made that we brought to uh, brought to woodworking in America. Yes. Um, but. For being a complete novice with the cut tool blade, I'll say it is fairly easy to control. I found it very intuitive, um, and it it just it kind of just kind of the wood just disappears where you want it to. It it's a, it was a very easy tool to learn. You, and you I've never used one. I've always thought that it would kind of jerk and grab a little bit. So that's it's, uh, it, it, it's interesting. It actually, yeah, it doesn't at all jerk or grab. It's really nice. Although it does, you with experience, you do definitely get better with it. Uh, like everyone, oh, sure. of course, obviously, right, obviously, right. obviously by far. You do that with a chisel or hand plane as well. So. Exactly, 100%. So, uh, yeah, I use the wheel for a lot of grinding on the uh, on the chairs. And that 7-inch uh, sand, sanding, I literally use that for, like, two minutes on the chair. That's it, not even. I was going to ask you what that one does, because if anyone watching, I'm showing a picture from Paul's blog that's got, correct me if I'm wrong, it's got the coarse cutsole blade, the medium cutsole blade, a 7-inch sanding disc, it's and a, then is, yeah, forty or sixty grit or whatever it is. Okay, and then a, and then a Rotex with some sort Correct. of paper on I, it. I um, always I generally start with a Rotex with the hard pad, but which is actually their medium. I just call it hard, and uh, and a one fifty grit for walnut. You and, okay, you don't actually use the the hard proper. You use the medium pad. It is the medium pad, the long life pad. It has the white line around the outside. Okay. So uh, I believe it's called. It is a medium medium. Uh, whatever it is. So, but that seven inch, basically I use that right after the cuts all wheel and it just, uh, it kind of has a, something happens that it like sucks itself down to the seat. So you use mm -hmm. it just the tip of it at the very top and you're kind of holding it like this and there's a motion that's like a twisting of the, of the, of the thing to pull it down the curve around the whole outside of the seat. And I can get almost the seat, like all the grinding marks out of it within a minute, which is quite something really. That's phenomenal. <laughs> wow. Uh, and then, I, and then, yeah, I go with the the Rotax. I go 150 hard pad, and that's in Rotax mode. I'll usually be on speed one or two. Uh, and let me just stop you there, because you gave me that advice on Twitter a couple weeks ago. I was having an issue getting some hand rasp marks out of a a sculpted glue gun rack, because you know you have to make that. Um, and I I for, I don't know why, but it had never dawned on me to turn the speed down in all my sanders. I just figured you know faster is better, because they're like cars. Um, but putting the road, putting the, I use 120 grit in the Rotex, switching it to Rotex mode and cranking it down to one. It took the rasp marks out almost instantly. And the surface transformed from a uh, coarse rasp surface to a sanded surface so quickly. And then I was able to take it up in grit very nicely. That was just fantastic advice to, to use a, a coarse sander on a low speed really did a nice job. And of course by the, the the mode of the sander, not necessarily the grit. I think I went from the rasp right to one twenty and it was fine. But putting it in, in Rotex mode or just using any coarse mode sander with the slow speed really does a nice job of taking those rasp marks out. Yeah, it is it, it's also important uh I'm basically going from rasp, right? From because that's just a moving rasp is all those wheels are. Right. 
so yeah, you're exactly right. I use the Rotex sander on one or two, which I went into uh, the store I deal with down in Toronto here, Atlas Tools, where I get my Festool stuff, and they. Uh, I was testing it with that three-inch one, the RO90. I, mm -hmm. I I didn't have it yet. I do have it now, and I use it like five minutes every two weeks or something on a certain part or something. But once in a while, I need it, so you got to have it, which kind of you know whatever. Anyways, I was using it, and I slow it right down to speed one, and the salesman's like, "Whoa, whoa, what are you doing? Always use it on six. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we started talking a little bit. It's got that control we, knob on it. You adjust it, yeah. try it on different things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but for curved uh, curved work, I really find uh, I go from the rasp right to a 150 with the hard pad. Now you have to use that harder pad if you. I use. I also have a super soft pad. So from the seed, I go 150 Rotex slow speed hard pad. Then it goes into oscillate full speed, still with that 150. Uh, and then I go to a soft pad, full speed oscillate with a 220, then 320. Then I switch back to Rotex, 400, 400 soft pad, 500 soft pad, and then 1,000 soft pad. Why the switch back to Rotex? I guess at a certain point to the upwards of the 400, the oscillate just doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it's not aggressive, so you're not doing anything. Okay. It, it's basically what it is. Having it, you could, it basically 20 minutes of the oscillating or two minutes of the Rotex mode. What would you right. rather? All right. And the way the Rotex, it moves almost, uh, you know, half an inch, the disc, back and forth, kind of like, like you're hand sanding, you know what I mean? Like you're having a sandpaper and you're going back and forth. So that disc, when you have it on very slow speed, and even at the high speed, it's moving like that. But when you're on that slow speed, it's just like your hand moving back and forth with a piece of sandpaper. So as long as you've got to pay attention to your sanding, just like if you're sanding with, by hand, as long as you're paying attention, you know what wood you're trying to remove and what you want to accomplish. It's uh, it's a really good tool, just like any tool. You got to know what you want to accomplish if you want to use the tool. Mm. Paul, that's very true. There are people out there watching the show tonight, and there's actually at least one of the hosts here um, interested in possibly trying his hand at a at, at building a chair in a not too distant future. What what advice do you have for budding chair builders? What what what? I mean, it's always seen as the you know the epitome of, of the big woodworking project. You want to build that chair. What what advice would you have for somebody like me? Do you have a style of chair that you want to build? Have you I have no idea yet. <laughs> <laughs> see, I'm farther in that process than you are, Tom. I have a design. Oh good. I'm, I'm glad to see style. that. I'd like one that actually keeps my rear end off the floor. Paul, do we do is that is that good for you or do we that, need better? That's fairly important. No, uh, <laughs> I highly recommend um, Scott Morrison's stuff, uh, Charles Brock. I haven't actually seen Charles Brock. I've used Scott Morrison's. Uh, Hal Taylor's stuff is amazing. So mm -hmm. uh, those are the ones I know about and I've really paid attention to, obviously. But uh, you just jump into it, really. I guess you got to decide what you want to make and uh, you go at it. And uh, from Hal Taylor's plans, like I printed the PDF and it's literally, you know, 170 pages. <sighs> A lot of it. He would, from what I understand, he was an engineer before a woodworker. That so explains kinda, it. <laughs> that explains it. Yeah, he he basically re-engineered uh, Sam's chair to 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 build it with you know a lot of jigs and and uh, different ideas like the the coopered headrest, which uh, kind of gives you more of a curve, uh, which then translates into the back braces. Then he engineered the idea of the flexible back brace, and that all evolved. So in the instructions to make the book, he oh uh, sorry, make the book. Yeah, let's let's all make a book. Uh, make the chair. Um, there's a lot of information in there of, of not only this is what you do, but why he decided to do it, and also other ways that it is possible to do it sometimes crop up. But basically, he t he shows you, okay, this is how I figured it out, and this is why I did it. 
Okay. Which is very valuable, in my opinion, compared to I have the Scott Morrison Barstool and, and various other ones, and it's a little not as in-depth, I think. I think even just buying his PDF and, and read his information, that is an amazing starting point right there. Okay. Hal Taylor's PDF. Correct, yeah. I think he, he sells it for almost nothing now, I think, too. I know when so, I... When so, I, Paul... Go ahead, sir. No, no, it's okay. Go ahead. What 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 I was going to say is, you know, one of the things that we've we've talked about just a lot here. You know, you've you've talked a whole lot about the sculpting and the and the you know just kind of putting the chair, the design, the 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 feel of it when you sit in it and stuff. But you know, I think one of the intimidating things for for most people on a chair is is not necessarily the 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 look of the chair or the because you know a, a woodworker builds. Furniture and stuff, but the intimidating thing is you're now taking. Wait, wait, wait! I'm sorry, I have to stop you there. I'm supposed to be building furniture. Okay, you can build whatever you want, but the. (laughs) Diami just left. (laughs) Diami just left the building. I I had to do that. I I didn't mean to interrupt you. I apologize, but I I had to do that. (laughs) But but the point is, is I, I think the intimidating thing about chairs is. If I've got a table sitting over here, it's got a cup of coffee sitting on it. It's got a book yes. sitting on top of it. You build a chair, you've got a 200-pound person sitting in this thing, sliding around, you know, plopping down in it, jumping up and down, and, and you really Just, haven't talked about that. I mean, was that been an issue, or, I mean, was that something you were intimidated with starting in it? Was, you know, how did you handle that, and, and did you have any issues with it? I guess uh, that's where... We're very lucky as woodworkers. We seem to, I guess, 99% of us anyways like to share our information. So, you know, I didn't have to go out and reinvent the wheel. I was able to actually take a design from somebody that reinvented the wheel from somebody else, which is, you know what I mean? And even even Sam Maloof, he, uh, you know, obviously had many influences too. And uh, from there, you you kind of learn from everywhere. And strong joinery really matters in in any type of furniture that we're making. Sure. So, uh, um just like uh, Charles Brock was saying, you just kind of there's a fabrication process of the chair, and then there's the sculpting sculpting part. Once right. you, because um, I don't just do it's not like I just do the rocking chair. I have a lot of bar stools, dining chairs, uh, and from there I've actually designed all those chairs. Um, and just like he said, you just start from your known factors of a seat height, seat thickness, uh, where you want your joints, type of joinery, and I always draw out a full size template of the actual chair. Um, which from there, that's where I, I, I learned, uh, I believe Sam Malouf would do the same type of thing with his tables. He would actually trace them right on the ground with chalk. <laughs> hmm. And uh, so I always, that's where I start basically with my, my, known, my known measurements of, of my furniture and then uh, I'm able to, to sketch it out full size and then go from there. So uh, right. I guess just because of the knowledge that's out there that, that, that you're able to uh, absorb through even just listening to, to a podcast like this from going on a oh, forum. There's, there's no information here. Right, that was actually the very first bar stool I, I ever did. Um, the armless ones that I do have been the most popular because typically people will have them at a counter. They'll have uh, three or four of them or whatever. Um, the dining chairs have been popular too. I've had a few orders of that, you know, six chairs, eight chairs here and there. Yeah, there's the armless one there. Uh, generally always walnut too, although the cherry is, is quite beautiful. I, I love how the cherry comes out. But I've done a few cherry, I guess. But uh, walnut most of the time. And from there, I'm actually lucky, too, that my brother's a logger. So all the walnuts oh. locally harvested. Uh, we have a wood miser just down the road. And uh, all the walnut I've been using has been from three walnut trees, which is local to me. And I got 3,000 board feet out of three trees. 
Nice. It's so, good work uh, if you can get it. That was directly from a tree service company, and he wanted a dining chair, or a dining chair, a dining table. So it worked out, you know, good for all of us. It's a lot of hard work, though. You got to cut it, you got to dry it. So there's a lot of handling and moving it, and then storing it. How much time do you have in, say, a rocker? What What's your kind of average? Hundred hours. About a hundred hours. About a hundred hours. Fabrication Monday to Friday, and then uh, you know, give yourself another another Monday to Friday to to finish the sculpting and and the final sanding. And mm. the very last day is really, you know, choosing to say that you're finished is the longest time period I feel like. Sure. <laughs> Because I think you're you're doing the least, but you're 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 looking for those spots that need the most. <laughs> oh sure. Because uh, uh, you know you can't you can't spend 500 hours making this chair, and you have to sell it for twenty five thousand, fifty thousand dollars a chair. <laughs> you, you do have to be able to make the furniture in a certain time frame that you're able to to, to sell it for you know a reasonable price. Because uh, you know even though I charge five thousand for a rocking chair, I know the work that goes into it. We all know the work that goes into it. Uh, yeah. The pieces that take the time, you have to charge what you need to charge for it, right? Exactly. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Most definitely. You, you and seem... I think that's, that, that's hard for woodworkers a lot of times is, is, is coming up with that, that price and figuring out, you know, what, 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 your, what your work's worth and stuff. So uh, that's, that's a tough 100%. thing because we know how I, uh, much goes into it. During, for my car audio shop, you know, I'd be buying radios for $100 and I would have to sell them for uh, – sometimes you would sell it, you make $10 on a radio. But then there's that cable that was $8, and you were supposed to sell it for $89. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't do it. I would still sell that cable for 16 bucks and just double my money. So yeah. maybe that didn't work out there, like, <laughs> just because I didn't, I didn't see the value in, in the thing to, to get the money out of it, I guess. But in, in, in this case, uh, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into, into, into our stuff. And uh, uh, teaching is good, too, though, with, with the students I've been having to go through. Um, you know, it's another income source, obviously. Right. And now... Uh, Okay, so that's gonna. We're starting to hit over an hour at this point because we tended to yak on before we brought you on. So we're gonna try to bring this into our five questions period. Uh, well, these are the questions we ask all of our guests. So I'm gonna lead off with the first question, and then we'll kind of rotate through it. So let me, let me ask you, Paul. How did you get into woodworking? High school. My high school shop teacher. Awesome, awesome, great, great teacher. Uh, would basically let me get into the shop and and. Uh, do what I wanted to do. In grade 10 or whatever, when everyone else was building the birdhouse, uh, I built a roll-top desk for my brother out of oak. Wow. He, wow. Know, he, he was three years older than me, and uh, he had just started getting into the logging, and he had a wood miser, so he had cut some oak. And using his wood, I was able to make him a, a desk right from there. And uh, it's just kind of uh, gone from there. I, I did get away from it for, for a number of years, but uh, I just fell right back into it from my dad needing a bunch of picnic tables for uh, he has a horse farm now it's actually a miniature hmm. donkey farm it's actually where my sh <laughs> yeah my shop's actually on a donkey farm so i'm in one of the outhouses out outhouses outbuildings outbuildings <laughs> not outhouses <laughs> difference big difference big difference. Hey, difference paul paul what's your favorite tool i think we've already we may have covered this already what's your favorite tool to use in the shop oh that's uh, the cuts all wheel probably or or my sander the ro the ro 150 I, I I've uh, I use that ninety percent of the time the RO one fifty probably for my sanding the six inch one too I have a five inch and three inch and I'll use them for for five percent of the chair hardly anything the six inch is, is okay. what it's at for sure the RO one fifty is the six the six yeah that's the six inch RO one fifty yeah it's it's uh so, oh man <laughs> I can't say enough about it. That's Chris, the one lethal, I, I don't it's have. It's a lethal weapon in my in my hands. I, I've got it. Chris. <laughs> 
I've got a feeling this is going to be a tough one with you because you've already thrown out quite a few names on this, but uh, can you hear me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm good. You got me, guys? Yep. Okay, yes. sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is, going to, I think, going to be a tough one, but you, you, you've already thrown out quite a few names there. Who is the uh, the the woodworkers who's, who's in, influenced your work the most? Um, probably Sam Maloof. Definitely. Okay. Just from and I I not only have his books, but you know, every video that you can possibly have of the man, I've like literally downloaded a hard copy on my computer. And I'll I'll go home after working ten, twelve hours, you know, in the shop and I'll fall asleep in bed watching one of his uh I have one of the the seminar where he goes up to the chalkboard and basically mm-hmm. you know, basically tells stories the whole time really. But uh, you know, he also talks about some woodworking along the way, kinda like you guys. <laughs> and Occasionally. Uh, uh from so definitely Sam Maloof, yeah. He was really honest in his he, books too. Very he, honest. He's an interesting guy. If 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 any of you listeners out there have never had a chance to to listen to Sam Maloof, you know, in an interview or a teaching, I mean the guy is just you know, he's really entertaining to sit there and listen to. So he's he's a he's I, interesting guy. I, I didn't know about the guy I didn't know about the man five years ago. So wow. it's basically changed my life since I've known him, even though mm-hmm. I don't know him. <laughs> so uh yeah, he's certainly quite the man. Yeah. What Paul, what's been your biggest stumbling block and could you have avoided it knowing what you know now? I think for me is I start a lot of projects all at the same time and bounce between them, which can be good and can be bad as long as you can juggle that. So from, you know, taking all my pictures for the site to to uh, you know, cutting the lumber on a sawmill and every process in between. Um, I guess juggling all that is 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 the, is the hardest aspect of it. The the real the you know running it as a business is is the hardest work. Yeah, that, None that of us too. would ever start too many projects at one time. No, <laughs> no, no. Nobody. <laughs> so, hey, Paul, uh, one, one, Paul, one, one, Sorry, during the break there, even when I. Like, when uh, when we muted when we muted the microphone there during the intro, like I even had to run away and I had just started a like trellis rust removal, you know, right before. So I wanted to yeah. double check that you know there wasn't a fire back there or anything like that. But it's actually very safe. But so even like you know what I mean, I always got you know something humming away. <laughs> hey Paul, and our final question: right. How has the internet influenced your work? The internet's pretty huge, really. The access that we have, although I do enjoy making projects and not having any influence really. So if it's, it's something that's new to me, uh, like I recently did a bar and really um, I didn't take much influence on the design. It, it all just kind of fell on the place. It, generally my projects kind of work around the wood. and okay. uh, so. But the internet itself, like I use Instagram, which on there you get instant feedback, instant comments, instant questions from people, which is, is vibrating right in your pocket as I'm as I'm doing it. So uh, from there to the Twitter, I I really enjoy all that. And although again, it's one of those things that you have to juggle because if you're mm-hmm. typing on a keyboard, you're not making sawdust. Exactly. So uh, guys, we have any questions from the audience? Anything come in? <laughs> I, I don't think so. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, Paul. I want to thank you very much for coming on tonight. Um, the stuff you do is beautiful. Thank and, you. Uh, you know, thank just you to, just uh, you know, you're an inspiration, and uh, I think maybe one of these days I may get off my butt and actually build a chair. <laughs> like I said, I'd just just suggest get, at least getting the PDF of how how built his chair, and uh, it's it's an interesting read. Will do. Hey, yeah, Paul, definitely to check that out. 
Paul, thank you very much. Where can people find you online again? It is CanadianWoodworks.com. And uh, I actually have a decent amount of videos on my YouTube channel, but uh, they're slowly escalating in the, the production capabilities, my skills. So, uh, yeah, but generally my website, CanadianWoodworks.com. And CanadianWW on Twitter, correct? That is right, CanadianWW on Twitter. Yeah. And I'm going to offer up uh, Paul's services on Twitter because you've been very helpful to me in answering questions on Twitter. So I would say that people who have questions about the beautiful stuff he makes and how he does it and does the sculpting, uh, yeah, definitely, hit, definitely hit Paul up. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's funny how Twitter is. I, I only have like just over 120 followers or something, where Instagram I've had for only four months, I have like 1,000 followers. So, wow. uh, well, Paul, look at it this way. Your, your Twitter numbers are going to go up. Yeah, you're going to be at least 106 when this is over. Sweet, negative 14 visitors. <laughs> All right, Paul, hey, thank oh. you very much for coming out. And, uh, again, just thanks for being an inspiration. And uh, the work you do is just awesome. Oh, no, thank you, guys. Thanks for inviting me. No, thank you, Paul. Appreciate it, Paul. Wow. Thanks for mom. Wow. Yeah. Some beautiful work. And and he I had no idea he'd only been doing it for three years. That's that's, that's, that's incredible. That's the amazing part. That's a savant. What was I doing in three years? I was still gluing pieces of stick together. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's all I was doing at three years in. So it's uh you can tell some people take this very well and very quickly. Three years oh. in, see I was eight. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> And you know what? You know we're going to continue. With I was our still actual, building little <laughs> putting sticks together. Yeah. Um, you know we're going to continue and actually providing some really good guests because God knows the hosts just we don't have it together these weeks. Not at it's all. okay. It's summer. It's summer. It's hot. Don't worry about it. Look, um, but next, it's uh, summertime our, and we're disaster right now. Yeah, so that's we just, are. But our next guest is a doctor, so hopefully he'll have his act together. We're hoping. Uh, Wilbur Penn of GiantCypress.net. This guy knows his stuff. Oh, he absolutely does. And uh, they tapped him on Wood Talk Online a couple weeks ago to talk about Japanese chisels, I believe. And I happened to see his talk about Japanese tools in general at the woodworking shows in, in New Jersey. So we're going to, if anybody has questions about Japanese tools, and if this happens to get posted before we interview him in two weeks, um, please let us know because he is just an absolute wealth of knowledge on. Japanese tools and woodworking in general. He's not, you know, he's not limited to just Japanese tools, but just a really nice guy, and he knows what he's talking about. He's just a a, a very informed source. I mean, he's a doctor, and what he's could, very what, witty. What could, he's a doctor. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> he's he. Uh oh. Yeah, Actually, he I was he was raz he was razzing on me the other day. I um, wife they bought me uh, a Japanese uh, smoothing plane for for Father's Day, and so. You know, with the girls, and the girls are are planning with it. So I I told my daughter in the thing I said push, and he's like, you may confuse them by saying to push. That's pull, <laughs> not push. <laughs> I did ah, see good that point. <laughs> Why is beyond his years? And I didn't realize it, but <laughs> you definitely want to pull. So all right, and that and that you gotta you gotta pull with the Japanese pull with the Japanese tools. And that just about wraps it up for the show. If you're missing us already, and who would be, um, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. Just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association. Once you're subscribed, you'll be sure to never miss another exciting episode where we try to figure out what the heck we're doing on the fly. While you're on iTunes, be sure to leave us a five-star rating. It helps our rank so others can more easily find us. If you want to learn more about the Modern Woodworkers Association, be sure to visit modernwoodworkersassociation.com. 
Follow the MWA on Twitter at MWA underscore national. You can like the MWA on Facebook or circle the Modern Woodworkers Association on Google+. And while you're there, join the MWA Google Plus community for project sharing, discussion, and loads of woodworking banter. It really is an active community. You're right, Chris. And where can we find you? Yeah, Chris. This is the part of the show where we tell people where they can find us. My my computer keeps going out. I I actually had to. No, I I had to. uh, My I completely lost all my internet when everything was down today. So. uh... I've I have not managed to get everything back up and running hundred percent. So okay, uh, Chris, where can people uh, anyway, find you? I they am... want to look for you because <laughs> this is a new section of the of the podcast that you you can't do without. Wait, how are we doing this if you don't have internet? For God's sakes, carrier pigeons. <laughs> We're it's working, but it's only halfway working. So anyway, okay. I am Chris, Chris Atkins, uh, High Rock Woodworking. <laughs> and and if they want to find you on the Twitters, what's okay? You let's do? start this again. Okay. All right. Again, it's Chris Atkins. Uh, you can find me at High Rock Woodworking, uh, or you can find me on Twitter at High Rock WW. Diami, where can people find you? I am at penultimatewoodshop.com. I am at Diami Plotke. That's D Y A M I P L O T K E on Twitter. On the Twitters. Uh, on the Twitters. I'm, I'm on the Twitters. Not as much as I would like to be because work's getting in the way, but I am on the Twitters all day long. And, uh, you know, I'm on the Google Plus and I'm in my shop and I'm all over the place. You find me on Long Island. Long Island. Darn right you do. Hey, you know what? I'm the resident shop monkey, Tom Iavino of Tom'sWorkbench.com and at Tom's Workbench on Twitter. We wish you all happy sawdust. Thanks for watching or listening in your case. Mm-hmm.